I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I talked to Guillermo Adame. Guillermo and his wife Terry were converted in the Boston Church of Christ and then went on a mission team to Bombay, India in the 1980s. Listen to Guillermo share about what it was like studying the Bible with Kip McKean, going to Bombay, India as a single man and taking the one suitcase challenge, the early days of the mission to India in Mumbai, Bangalore, and Chennai, how he's juggled the demands of leading the San Diego church, running his own financial consulting business, and taking care of his critically ill wife, how he handled the loss of his wife, Terry, in 2021 and how he's reconnected with his first Christian girlfriend from 40 years ago and has found new love. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. The Climb Conference is coming up November 30th through December 3rd in Dallas, Texas. Have you and your friends registered yet? You need to be there to get inspired, to get tools for growth and ministry from people like Joel Nagel, to listen to people like Sean Wooten, Kevin Miller, and Dave Bliley talk about how to grow your ministry and grow yourself. Get encouraged being around idealistic, faithful followers of Jesus. Register today at robskinner.com if you haven't already. I'm looking for a leader, a team, and money to plant the Green Valley Church in September of 2023. There's been a couple driving all the way up from Green Valley with Karen Kolarik. I interviewed Karen a few episodes back. Nearly every Sunday, one or both of them cry after my lesson and thank me for preaching the word to them. They're so eager to get baptized in the next several weeks. When I see the passion and desire in their face, I think we need a church for them and people like them. I think about Paul's vision of a man of Macedonia, come over here and help us. And I think about that, about Green Valley. I go, people need help. The people need true discipleship. They need the true gospel. And that's why I'm looking for a leadership couple, team members, and money to plant this beautiful area of Arizona. If you're interested in leading or going on a mission team, email me at rob at robskinner.com. That's rob at robskinner.com. If you'd like to support the planting with a tax-deductible gift, click the link in the bottom of the show notes and select the general fund option. Guillermo, welcome to the program. Rob, what a joy to be uh, with you. It's an honor. Thank you for inviting me to come on. There's been a lot going on in your life, and so I'm, I'm really thankful that uh, now is the right time. Would you mind just talking about how you became a Christian? Yeah, you know, Rob, that was really interesting. Um, I grew up in San Diego. I live in my hometown, and uh, I got accepted to a myriad of uh, universities out of high school. But a couple of friends of mine and I decided to go ahead and go to college in Boston. And uh, really interesting, uh, that first semester was horrendous. I'm a San Diego kid. Here I am in the cold and the dreary and the, you know, uh, the cloudiness of Boston. And 
And it was really hard for me being a kid from the inner city here in San Diego. And um, I just remember getting on my knees uh, in late December, uh, getting close to the end of the first semester, just going, God, I really need to reconnect with you. Uh, I had grown up somewhat religiously. I'd considered myself a Christian, uh, but I had really pulled away from God completely my first semester. And um, and then just so happened, you know how it works. I always say it just so happened. <laughs> I got a I got a knock on my door one day, and uh, there was uh, James Lloyd and his girlfriend at the time, Tanya, and um, they invited me to what they called uh, a Bible talk, but what or Bible study, but what they called a soul talk. And I just kind of shook my head and I said, you know what, I got to go. And so I went to the, actually the first Bible talk that the uh, uh, the Lexington Church of Christ at that point had on the Harvard campus. And uh, Kip McKean was leading the study, and there was a great group of people there. And then Kip asked me to study the Bible, and I said, absolutely. And that was January of 1980, and just in, in April uh, of 1980, uh, I decided to commit myself and become baptized and uh, join uh, the Lexington, the new Lexington Church of Christ, or the old Lexington Church of Christ, which would later become the Boston Church of Christ, of course. And uh, that was uh, the 8th of April of 1980. So I just observed my 43rd year of being a Christian. Wow. Happy spiritual birthday. So you Thank you. you became a Christian early on. I mean, that that uh, Kip came to Boston in the June of 1979, and you were baptized within a year of that time. So you really saw it all. Well, it was, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, Pat Gemple sent me a list of the first hundred baptisms, and I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm like number sixty-three or sixty-four. <laughs> and then, and then my my spiritual twin Brian Scanlon, uh, who was also a freshman uh, at Harvard uh, and later became uh, the leader of the Parish Church, uh, he and I were spiritual twins, and it was great to have um, a, a partner on campus right there in the early days. Do you, what do you remember from studying the Bible with Kep? Well, you know, there's a funny story because uh, I had already already thought I had been a Christian, and then we had studied um, sin and uh, light and darkness, and and I was just wrestling. And I remember Kip came up to to a, we had scheduled a Bible study that I'd forgotten about to follow up on, and uh, Kip came up to um, to knock on my door, and uh, my roommate at the time, John, uh, not related to our fellowship, but uh, he said, "Hey, Kip McKean's at the door." because he had gotten a no kip over the previous few months. And I went and I got into my closet, my, my cupboard at the time. <laughs> and I told John, John, tell Kip I'm not here. And Kip comes in the, Kip comes in the door and he goes, oh, I'm supposed to meet Mo here. And he goes, uh, John goes, well, he's not here. And I am feeling so guilty uh, in the closet. So it, it was, a, it was a hilarious time, but, but, Kip left. I came out. I felt badly. I called Kip and I said, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. Didn't confess at the time, but told him, I'm sorry I missed our time. And uh, and that was just a month before. Went through spring break. I stayed in Boston. And the thing I remembered was just the love for God's word that wow. I had already. But then to learn mm. about the scriptures, about the first Christians. and 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 to me, then seeing the church, and of course, going to the church, it was a very small congregation at the time at the Lexington Church building, but everyone was so giving, so loving, 
And uh, I said, you know what? I need to become part of this. And, that's awesome. And that's what I remember. That's fantastic. Well, how did you and, and Terry meet? So, <laughs> so uh, fast forward two years. So I got baptized in 1980. 1982, I, uh, I get asked to become uh, one of the, uh, the team workers or team leaders for the Boston Church. And uh, there were three that were there. Frank Kim was one of the other leaders myself, and then uh, a guy named Dan Dean. And, um, and so I led the South Shore team, teams. And about a year into that, 1983, Terry uh, was a teenager in high school, and she started attending uh, Frank and Erica's Bible Talk. And, um, and of course, the ministry was so small. Uh, I was already in college, so I was, I was four and a half years older than Terry. Uh, but we started to build just a friendship there. And I saw her heart, her love for people, uh, Terry worked at a donut shop when she was in high school. And uh, so she would always bring donuts to everything. You know? and, <laughs> and, and, and of course, of course, all, everyone was in love with Terry and it, it was pretty amazing. But uh, funny story, after she had graduated from high school and was already working as an adult, uh, now we're now we're three years later and it's 1985, 86. Um, I was waiting for a date to show up. And of course, this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet. Right anything and I was waiting for my date to show up to, so that we could go on a double date but she, unfortunately she got caught somewhere and so I, I asked Terry at the time I said hey would you mind filling in and the reason Terry was there is I was borrowing a car from one of the brothers in the church to go on the double date <laughs> and Terry happened to be at the house and so she filled in and it was the first time that night I looked at Terry in a whole different light wow so, as a young woman. And, and then we, a year later, we started dating. It was wow. pretty amazing. So just lightning struck. You didn't yeah. anticipate it, but boom. No, she, but she was a friend already. And, and she used to actually help me get ready for dates. Cause I'd go over to this family's house and, <laughs> and uh, you know, so she did help iron my clothes and make sure I look great for all my dates. So it was already a friendship that was struck up. So let me back it up a little bit. I mean, you, you didn't mention where you went to school in, in Boston, you went to Harvard and you must've been quite a prodigy that you, you got into Harvard. Boy, I tell you what, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how to really answer that. I, I, I was definitely in my school. I was the valedictorian. I did well on my standardized test. I was involved in all sorts of activities. However, when I got to Harvard, I realized, Boy, there are way smarter people than me here, and uh, and and so I became I became the big fish in the small pond, the very small fish in a big pond, and I, I'm very grateful. And it had it absolutely had to be the Lord, uh, because I've done uh, for the schools committee, the Harvard Schools Committee here in San Diego. I've done years of interviewing of prospective candidates, and I'm always amazed at these the amazing resumes that these students bring. And I was nowhere near that. So mm. just, I, I just give it up to God. Very grateful to God <laughs> for what he's done. Really impressive. Now, <laughs> can you just give a, give me, it's been 40 years. I mean, you were there in the early days of Boston till now. Give me an overview of where you've been in the ministry. Yeah. You know, so the, the Boston church exploded back in those days, Rob. I mean, just people were coming in, campus ministries were, were, were coming in, we were growing. 
I think at that point, the Boston area had something like 50 or 60 universities and colleges within that small metropolitan area. And uh, it was just really interesting just to see the excitement of, uh, of, of really what was going on in Boston. And then, of course, the leadership at the time goes, you know, we, we need to expand this to a worldwide vision. And, uh, and so watching uh, the, the Lexington Church become the Boston Church of Christ, the Lexington Church move from their little small uh, hall that held maybe 130 people, if even, into the Arlington Baptist Church building, and then into the Boston Opera House downtown, and then in meeting in the, the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden at that time was amazing. Um, it, it was just phenomenal. And what happened is there was such um, a, 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 a zeal that people had that we wanted to take this out to the world. Mm. And, uh, and so the Boston Church began to come up with a strategic plan of really sending out mission teams to cities and countries around the world. And it was exciting to be actually be, be asked to be part of one of those. Uh, and so what happened to me is I initially was going to, going to go to Latin America because I'm Mexican, you know, so <laughs> I, I wanted to be on the Mexican, the Mexico city mission team, but I was, um, I was walking through Harvard uh, Yard one day with Jim Blau, who was my discipler at the time. And Jim seemed a little down. I said, hey, Jim, what's going on? And Jim had been chosen along with Dan Allison, Jim and Donna and Dan and Mary to lead the Bombay mission team to India. And this was 1986. And um, I said, Jim, what's going on? He said, you know what? My two singles just, uh, just dropped out. We're leaving in two months. And... You know, I remember I just said, you know, Jim, I, I'll go with you. <laughs> and he stopped, he stopped and he said, really? And I said, oh my goodness, what did I just do? And because I, I felt the, I felt the words leaving my mouth and I wanted to grab them back. And, um, and then he said, really? And I said, yeah, you know what? I'll go with you. And so I ended up going to, to, to Bombay. It was only supposed to be six months. Remember you go for six months. And uh, it ended up being uh, six and a half years wow. that uh, Terry and I stayed in India. We were part of the uh, Bombay mission planning. Two years later, we moved to Bangalore, India. Uh, the London church had planted Bangalore. And um, there was a, a move to kind of unify the strategic plan. So uh, Doug Arthur uh, was in London at the time. And so Kip said, hey, why don't Doug, you take care of India. You disciple Jim Blau. Let's unite the two cities in India. So we'll move one evangelist from Bombay to Bangalore and an evangelist from Bangalore to Bombay. And so I was chosen, Terry and I were chosen to move from Bombay to Bangalore. And so then I struck up a great friendship with Mark Templer, Mark and Adin. Mohan Nanjundan moved from Bangalore to Bombay, and thus the India Works became unified. And it, it was great. I mean, God was working in a great way. Uh, from Bangalore, Terry and I went and led a mission team to Madras, India at the time, now Chennai. Uh, and, that, and then we ended up going back to Bangalore to lead the church because, you know, it was difficult for the missionaries to stay in. Uh, but Mark Templer and myself, because we had um, uh, uh, degrees from universities, Mark went to MIT, uh, we were able to stay longer because we got student visas to stay longer. The Indian government liked having us there. Um, and then it just came time for us to move back to the States. At this point now, I went single. 
Uh, Terry came up three months later in 1987. We get married in 87. We now have three kids. And in late 1992, it's time to come back to the United States, married with three kids. And, <laughs> um, you know, so we came to Philadelphia for five months. And then I was asked to move and come and lead the church in San Diego. And in, on May 15th, it'll be 30 years uh, since I arrived in San Diego to lead the church here. Wow. So that's my career, ministry career. Okay, so you you got to San Diego in 1993, and you've been there ever since. I I have crazy, absolutely crazy. Okay, that's nice. You ended up in in your hometown. Also, I mean, San Diego really is my favorite place in the lower 48. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's a little slice of heaven on earth. Uh, just one notch south of of Hawaii, but you know, at least you can drive right, there. Right. It's really nice. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Let, let me go back to the mission planting to India. One of the things that was really cool as a young Christian in, you know, I was 86, 87 when I became a Christian, is I remember Jim Blau coming back and, and all the buzz was taking the one suitcase challenge to go to <laughs> India. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that was? Yes, absolutely. The, the Indian, uh, uh, planting to Bombay was our first third world planting. Uh, you know, Chicago had been planted, London had been planted, a uh, few of the other first world churches, but Johannesburg and then uh, uh, Bombay were kind of the first two to go out to the third world. Um, and so at that point, the Allisons and the Blouse said, you know what, let's, you know, they had already done their mission uh, trips to India to go evaluate and see and investigate. And they just said, man, it's really poor. So let's let's live and let's just purge of all of our material possessions. Let's let's learn how to sleep on the floor on a, on a little mat. And, and let's let's do that before we get there. And uh, and so thus was born, you know, that you can take to India what you can fit in one suitcase. <laughs> uh, now, to be honest, you know, we actually had a little bit more than one suitcase because there were there were remember the bombay mission team was made up of nine adults and 11 children oh my gosh so so again some of the children needed uh school supplies and books and 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 things to travel but uh i actually had extra space in my suitcase or bag duffel bag and so some of the guys put some stuff in in my bag as long the way because i had absolutely nothing to take with me to india except the clothes i had that was it can you share like wh what one story from your time there early on, maybe the first six months that, that still, still hit you today. Yeah. I, I, I remember walking with Jim Blau and I was having an incredibly difficult time and we're walking down kind of downtown Bombay. It's called Mumbai now, but downtown Bombay uh, on the coast. And there's a, a set of lights that go around and curve. It's called the queen's necklace. And it's supposed to be one of the beautiful spots of Bombay. And uh, I, I was having a difficult time. I was, I had gotten sick from the food. I had, I couldn't understand people. It was hot. Um, and, you know, I, I was, it was miserable. And, and my girlfriend wasn't here yet. And Terry was still back in the United States. And uh, again, no internet. We had to handwrite letters back and forth to each other. Phone calls were incredibly expensive. And took a long time to even, you had to book a long distance call back in those days. You couldn't just dial a long distance call. You had to book it through a long distance operator. 
And Jim goes, Mo, isn't this an amazing city? <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and I just let, I just let, I said, Jim, let me just tell you, this is not even in my top 50 of cities. And I think I've only been to about five. And, and I remember he stopped me and he says, Mo, then why are you here? Mm. Are you here so you could be in a nice place? Or are you here because God mm. wants you here to reach out to, the, to this lost nation? Wow. And I remember that talk to this day. And it turned me around and I fell in love with the people of India uh, moving forward. And when they asked me to leave back six plus years later, uh, it was so hard to leave India because it, they had become my family. And although we weren't Indian, we had really assimilated into the culture. Wow. It was pretty amazing. That's really, really impressive. Now, when you, when you got back to San Diego, you were leading the church, but at some point you chose to become a financial planner. Why? Yeah, not not my wasn't my choice, Rob. Honestly, uh, I was fully committed to being in the ministry uh, through a fleece that the Lord had uh, answered me back in 1985, 84. Uh, I, I laid out a prayer before the Lord. If you, if you know, it, I look back at it and I think it's stupid now, but I just said, God, if you want me to be in the full time ministry do this impossible thing for me. And God did it for me. And so I always knew that I needed to be in the full-time ministry. But then our, our fellowship went through a firestorm back in 2003, 2004. And um, it really became clear that it was uh, time for me to move on from San Diego, uh, or at least to step out of the leadership of San Diego and to uh, hand it off to uh, whomever was going to come in at that point. And, um, and so, again, prayed to God. I interviewed in three other uh, churches that were looking for ministers at that time. But as I joke today, there was not really a great demand for uh, a former geographic sector leader, Mexican, who doesn't speak Spanish, you know. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and so at that point, I had coached a lot of uh, softball um, for my girls uh, who were growing up. And one of the dads who worked for a financial firm I, uh, he had, I had shared with him what was going on. He says, why don't you come work for me? Wow. And I said, Jack, you want to take a chance on a 42 year old? I mean, you're hiring guys right out of college. He goes, I believe this is the right thing. And so I started working for him and I ended up working with a wall street firm, uh, for about three years, three and a half years. And then I, I decided to go out on my own and become uh, an independent financial advisor. And I did that back in 2008. So I just observed my 18th, completed my 18th year serving as a financial advisor. So not, not what I wanted to do, but the way I look at it, Rob, is, is it's a ministry. I'm helping people with their financial planning needs. Uh, and I love working with uh, ministers. And I have ministry staff all over the world. Be able to help them get to the finish line financially. I never talk about retirement. I talk about financial retirement. And I speak the language of ministers and church boards and so forth. And it's been really, really fulfilling to just have this additional gift added on to my expertise uh, along with my role as a minister. Okay, let me, let's dig in a little bit on this topic. You, I mean, you've done this for eight, 18 years, 
Okay. Yeah. You know, I did, I did a self-supporting ministry for eight years. I was selling real estate while planting a small church in, in Oregon. That's a lot different. I mean, it, the San Diego church, what, I don't know, 1800 members. What is it? 600. I, I don't know how big it was when you took it over, but it's definitely over a thousand. I'm, I'm assuming, but how, I mean, how in the world did you manage it? I mean, what, how, how do you juggle that and leading the church? I, I know that Joe Slippo is leading the church now, but when you were leading it, how, how in the world did you do that, raise a family, have a happy marriage, and keep your sanity? You know, it, it's really interesting, Rob. Thank you for asking that question. It, it's a really cool story. And again, it's totally from God. Uh, so I was out of the ministry for four years. And the church in San Diego had struggled, and there was not a leader of the church at that point. And the 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 twenty four hundred member church of San Diego had really dropped to below a thousand. Uh, just it it was just a struggle. I mean, I, I and I feel responsible for that because I was the previous leader. Uh, but Robert and Michelle Carrillo had come in from New York and brought just a great vision, a great encouragement. And uh, one day Robert just sat down with me. He goes, would you consider going back into the ministry? And I said, I would, but Terry would not. She, Terry told me there would, there would not be a snowball's chance in hell. <laughs> uh, it would be better for a snowball's chance in hell than for her to go back into the ministry. And it, it was hilarious. And, 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 and she was really serious. I mean, Terry was this Boston had a lot of fight and fire to her. Right. And, um, but you know, I prayed a lot about it and then an opportunity came for me to work temporarily to help one of the regions in San Diego. And so I had gone from leading the church in San Diego to becoming an assistant Bible talk leader in San Diego. <laughs> and, um, and, and one of the things that Terry and I had really helped us tremendously, I want to share this because I think it can help people is even though there was some uh, validity to what people had shared about our leadership, there was a lot of things that were shared about us that were not true. But we made a decision, the greatest role and title we could ever have was to be called God's children. Mm. And no one could ever take that away. So we said, we're gonna be disciples and we're gonna serve and we're not gonna have any bitterness. So when San Diego asked us to come back and and help with the, one of the regions, we, we said we would do so. And, uh, and then it came down to uh, uh, Doug Arthur, my good friend Doug Arthur asked me, hey, would you come to Boston, back to Boston and work in a hybrid mode and, and do that permanently, kind of lead your full-time job and, and lead, help lead one of our regions? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So Terry and I were gonna pack up the house and, and then San Diego said, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Would you consider doing that here? Right. And uh, so, so for 10 years, I worked as uh, just back in leading a region, which was manageable uh, because it was about 250 people, but we had some great staff and Terry was just an amazing organizer. She was so detailed and organized. She did so much in the ministry that I could use my gifts to really help uh, preach and teach and raise up uh, leaders. Um, it was really fun. But then Robert decides to go to Hope Worldwide in 2015. And the elders at that time asked me if Terry and I would lead the church. 
but they said we we would we need to for you to give up your career as a financial advisor. And we went back and we said, you know what? Not we we don't feel like that's what God's calling us to, but thank you very much. And then a week later they came back and said, What will it take for you to be on? And I said, <laughs> hire Terry full time, let me hire some staff to be able to support us and 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 let's do it temporarily. Well, that temporarily turned in from 2015 to 2021. And um, so it, it was tremendous. So I would say to answer your question, Rob, God's amazing design that it's not about just one person leading. It's, it's a team environment. And we had such a great team at that time. We had great elders that were coming along. We had an amazing staff and everyone was behind the plan. And although I couldn't be at everything like a full-time event, it's good. Everybody understood and they supported the plan moving forward. And the church was actually amazing. And Robert had already laid a vision out before the church. I just got to continue to work uh, with the vision that Robert and the other staff had laid out before I came back on. It was amazing. Wow. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the bitterness issue. Because, I mean, many yeah. people, it. I mean, this is like universal. We, we all get hurt at some point from other disciples. It's just, I mean, just from being around sinners, it's going to happen. You were a particular target as leader of the church. You're, I'm sure you're vilified at different, different points. How did you navigate that and come back? I mean, you strike me as one of the most loving, kind, and friendly people that I've ever met. How'd you keep that plasticity, that, that warmth, the softness, and not develop a, a real hard cynical edge? Rob, I wish I could tell you that was really easy. It was it was really hard. Even though you make a decision that you're not going to have bitterness, that doesn't mean that's that's not going to be a temptation along the way. And uh, one of the things that really helped uh, Terry and I was the um, just understanding who we were as in God's sight. Number one, and uh, and then number two, that you know I I have also hurt people, and I would expect people's forgiveness and grace, uh, just who I am. And I need to be able to extend forgiveness and grace to other people. Mm. And at the end of it, I also understand that Satan wants to divide us. And I knew that this was an attack of Satan. One of the, one of the scriptures that I just love is Ephesians 6. You know, we, we know it, put on the full armor of God <clears throat> so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our battles, not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but it's against Satan mm-hmm. and his demonic forces. And that really helped Terry and I be able to stay in San Diego, be able to serve in San Diego, and uh, very grateful for the brothers and sisters that just supported us during that journey. Okay, that's that's super helpful. Have you always been super loving? I mean, you're you're really kind of like a teddy bear. I mean, just really kind. I remember you coming. <laughs> I, I first saw this. I think the first time I met you is you came to do some mediation work, some arbitration work right around 2002, 2003 in Tokyo. You did a great job. Help, you know, of course, the church was in turmoil in Tokyo as it was around the world. But it really struck me. This guy is really kind, really loving. Is that something you're born with or something you've developed? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really long story. I, I, my, my dad, 
is 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 an extrovert and is is a very loving person, very gets along with everybody. And I think I have a lot of his characteristics. My dad, who's ninety, is still alive. Oh my god! Uh, and he can make friends with anybody. And uh, but I think what happened is when my dad remarried, um, divorced my mom. My mom's also alive. She's actually uh, the oldest member of the San Diego Church. She's ninety six years old. Wow. And 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 just love being able to take her to church every Sunday. But I, I realized that that coming into a family a, as a nine-year-old kid with a, a, a stepmom who already had four sons from two previous marriages, I had to learn how to survive. Mm. And the way I learned to survive was to to be kind to people, to be giving to people and to and to be diplomatic with people or else I was going to get the tar beat out of me every time. <laughs> and uh, cause they were older than me. And, um, and I, and I, and then I loved to go into school. I always loved school and I always loved having friends and uh, I always loved giving to people. And I don't think that's just me. I think that's just the way God built me and uh, God made me. And so I, I love people tremendously. Uh, I, Terry was the exact same way. She was just so giving and so loving. And I believe it wasn't that I was the best speaker. wasn't that I was the best strategist. wasn't that, that I knew the Bible the most. I, I just knew that Terry and I, we always believed in the greatest commandment of the law. Let's love God with all of our heart. And then let's love people. If we did those two things, everything would be okay. At, at Terry's funeral, at her uh, celebration, you know, of her life. It was awesome. I mean, it filled up the conference center at that hotel. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of people and people sharing, not just recently, but also people who knew her back in the eighties. It was pretty, it was really impressive. I mean, just like, wow. And people just sharing about her kindness. Um, you know, what, what was it about her that, I mean, people were just so expressive of her, um, her spirit, her love for Boston, those types of things. What what stands out to you about Terry? You, you know, Terry, um, when I married Terry, she was 21 years old. She did not, she, she had one semester of college uh, under her belt and decided to come to India to be my girlfriend, really. That, that, that was why she was coming. And, you know, so she wasn't, the most educated, the most eloquent. But one thing that I saw about Terry was just the amazing spirit of which she lived for other people, whether it was her own family, uh, my family, or people in the church and people outside of the church. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me is uh, when you fly into Bombay, back, especially back in the 80s, and you're a foreigner, uh, you'd be bombarded with uh, children who would be begging from you, just children living in the slums and just kind of a mass around you. And Terry would always bring gifts and food mm. for these kids whenever wow. we came back in. And, and, and they would see her and they would start recognizing <laughs> her. And, and it'd be auntie, auntie, auntie. And they'd all run around and they'd be so respectful around her. Mm. And she would just hand them pieces of candy or she'd bring them little gifts and little toys and, and that was her heart to be able to give all the way. And, uh, and to the very end of this day, uh, when Terry chose the day of her departure to go to heaven, uh, she chose to depart to heaven on uh, India's Independence Day because she had such a connection to India 
and the people of India. That was her desire. She goes, India got its independence uh, on that day in August, and I'm going to go get my independence and go be with the Lord. It was pretty amazing. How do you mean she chose her day to, to pass away? So Terry had a, a very significant um, neuromuscular disorder that should not have ended her life, but she was in that minute less than 1% uh, of this disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth Disease that uh, destroys the myelin sheath uh, around each of the nerves. And uh, she began to lose her motor function, uh, but her disease affected her, her breathing uh, as well as her strength in her hands and uh, just really decimated her body. And actually in May of 2019, we had to rush her to the hospital and it was during that time that the doctors said, we, we, have, to, we have to put her on a ventilator. Uh, and then she got put in the ICU. And in the ICU, they, uh, they gave her a tracheostomy. Uh, and with the tracheostomy, uh, she had to be on a ventilator for the last uh, uh, two and a half years of her life. And, um, <clears throat> but she always asked the doctor, she goes, uh, is it always my choice to be able to stop and 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 be taken off of life support. And they said, absolutely. And uh, so in 2021, she got to the point where her body was just so ravaged and she was just an incredible amount of pain. She had to talk with me and she goes, it's time for me to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And it's time for you and the children to go ahead and let me go. And you guys need to go live on your life. And so, boy, that was a hard conversation, Rob. I got to tell you, uh, Terry and I were married 34 years. Uh, but I was very grateful that my daughter, Caitlin, uh, moved home from Boston. My son uh, moved home from Phoenix and they worked remotely. And uh, the three of us were able to take care of Terry. Uh, but she finally got to the point, she goes, hey, here's the day I'd like to go go to heaven. And uh, it was on a Sunday uh, in August of 21. And uh, we had an amazing church service together. Uh, my son did the communion, I couldn't speak. My son did a, a communion service. Her family was all around. Uh, her extended brothers and sisters had come in, and it was it was really powerful as she shared about each one of us, and really encouraged us to stay strong. And she just she just asked the hospice nurse who came in uh, after the hospice nurse explained everything. She goes she goes to Terry, do you have a question? She couldn't talk. She used a board to write out. She goes, is this going to work? And the hospice nurse goes, uh, you you mean, you know disconnecting you and you passing away. And, and the hospital says, yeah, I've been doing this for 28 years. It's going to work, Terry. And Terry said, good, because I'm so happy to go see Jesus. Mm. Wow. So makes me a little emotional, but yeah. it was amazing. From her first symptoms to when she passed, how long was it? Oh, she, she was diagnosed with CMT when she was 25 years old. Oh my so, gosh. Um, so again, we, we, most people, you know, live a, a, a very, you know, a, a very normal life. But Terry's process was was absolutely very difficult. And she had the the worst case of this disease that you could have. How, okay, I, I hope you don't mind me asking these questions. I know it's sensitive. No, not at all. How did you handle it in your sinful nature to have a wife who is sick? I mean, my patience is just not not strong. It'd be really challenging. How did you handle that? How did you 
get the strength to care for your wife over, you know, decades? When, when yeah, great question. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, it was hard at times, Rob, because it was, um, you know, she progressed and got worse and worse over time. Uh, when Terry was in the ICU in 2019, they wanted to put her into a long-term acute care facility. And because they, they said she, you know, she had a maximum of two years to live, but she's going to need, you know, pretty complicated uh, ventilator support and so forth and, um, and full-time care. And uh, there was one of the doctors who was there who was actually a Harvard grad. And I didn't know him at Harvard, but we connected and he would pull me aside and talk to me. He goes, now, Guillermo, you do not have to send Terry to a, a long-term acute care facility. You don't have to do that. You can bring her home if that's what she wants. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. And he goes, let me tell you how to do this. And so he, he basically ran it through. We had a, a huge meeting with her medical team. And I basically laid out a plan of, hey, we want to bring Terry home and we want to take care of her at home. And um, they said, well, no, this is really too hard. I said, teach me. I'm, we're pretty smart. And, uh, you know, we'll learn how to do the technical aspect of things. And so we, we, we took a course and had to spend four days learning how to do the ventilator support and be able to, you know, do trach suctioning and, and cleaning and all of that. And Caitlin and I both learned how to do that. But, um, you know, being able to watch Terry just deteriorate uh, over the course of months was was probably the most difficult thing. Uh, but Terry never complained, Rob, one time, not one time. Uh, her attitude was, why would I wish this on anyone else? You know, why not me? Uh, she would always say. And she never had, uh, wasn't bitter. She never complained. And just, just thank God for the life that she had and was given because she knew you know, life's a miss. We're all going to die. You know, so this is, I'm just going to die, you know, somewhat a bit later than some people, but maybe a bit earlier because she was 55 when she passed away. The support of the church was amazing. Uh, people, I don't know how people do this without the support of God's people. Uh, we had so many people that would come and visit and give to Terry and serve Terry and were there to help support Terry or myself and my children absolutely amazing i thank god and i thank god's people mm. it were you know you were converted in the early 80s you're i'm assuming you're in the early 60s now we're losing people i mean people are going i, I lost a high school friend late last year i heard about another longtime disciple friend who's who's really sick I mean, it's just kind of that stage of life where it's starting to happen more and more. How, how did you manage to overcome the loss of your wife? What helped you? Like what, what pulled you through that time? So Caitlin still lived with me and having Caitlin here at the house was very, very helpful. Um, and she just actually just moved out uh, just a month ago, a couple months ago to go move to Omaha, Nebraska, where she's going to, uh, is going to be with their fiance and they're going to get married in July. So it's amazing. Caitlin, number one, the church, number two, people were just so incredible. And the church leadership allowed me a lot of leeway in my time. Uh, we had handed over the church leadership to Joan and Annie Slippo. Um, 
I ended up going to uh, a region um, that has just been amazing, a region actually where I grew up uh, in the south part of San Diego. And just to be with them has been tremendous. Um, and then other people have gone through things um, as well. Uh, but one of the things that was really helpful for me, uh, Rob, is I um, there was a presentation made one Sunday morning of uh, Renee and Norma Mathis, who serve as shepherds in, in our region. And they were doing a grief journey class. And uh, I'm like thinking, Oh no, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not ready to go to grief class. I don't need grief class. Right. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and and then I heard it again the next Sunday and I said, you know what? This will probably be really good for me to go as an example to other people. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but once I got into the class, it was like, oh my goodness, I really need this class. And just going through um, the, the the grief journey book uh, was just absolutely amazing. Just really encouraging. And that really helped me a lot as well. And then of course, my relationship with God. But there were times, Rob, I was in, I felt like I was in a fog mm. and uh, just getting up, working, going up to my room at night was the, the hardest thing because Terry wasn't there and, uh, you know, trying to get some sleep. So I think everything put together, my friends, of course, God, getting some, uh, some help going through a grief journey class with other people and hearing their journey as well it really helped me actually become uh, a better man and a better minister along the way. Well, you have a new love in your life. We talked about this uh, coming into the interview. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, so Rob, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm not looking. Uh, people start asking me, hey, are you ready to date yet? Are you, uh, and, and I'm not looking for anybody, but then, I get a condolence card uh, almost a year late, you know, uh, later after Terry passed from a woman in Boston who uh, was, it was just interesting. And, and her name is Michelle and she sent me this card. But Michelle was my first girlfriend uh, after I had been baptized in Boston. So we're talking 40 <laughs> plus years ago. And, um, and, and, you know, but, but through time back in those days, you know, I, I was, she was at a different university. But it was a summertime. I had served at the campus as a campus minister for Framingham State, and she was uh, she was captain of the cheer squad there. Uh, Phil Arsenault, who of course we called him Bubba back in the day, was was on campus. A name with another guy named Jim Palana. So the three of us started this ministry at Framingham State, and Michelle came and I asked if she wanted to study the Bible, and so she studied the Bible, and then I baptized her in 1983. Uh, but I didn't have a woman leader, so Michelle became the woman leader of the campus really quickly back in those days. That's what happened. And then we started dating. Um, and, and then, of course, I had to go back to my school and finish my career, and I was going to Bombay. And, you know, I met Terry, and things just moved on for both of us. So to get this letter from her, it was mm -hmm. like I hadn't talked to her in 35-plus years. And so I tried to look her up on Facebook and social media. <laughs> She had no social media presence. <laughs> she, 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 all I had was a return address. So I sent her a, re, a thank you card. And then she sent me a, an encouraged, more encouraging card a couple of months later. You know, here are some things I think about Moadame from 1983. You know, and it was really encouraging. And then I said, okay, here's my number. Here's my name. I'd love to connect. I didn't know if she was married. Right. I didn't know anything. Right. But I said, if it's appropriate, I'd love to connect with you. 
And then I get this text on my phone going, hi, Mo, it's Michelle, uh, would love to talk. And then we set up a, a video call and uh, it, it was like, it was amazing. And so in January of this year, I went to uh, Boston to go take her on a date. And, uh, and we had talked, you know, over the, the course of the summer. And, um, and, and it was like the connection, the fire was absolutely amazing. And so I'm, I went back out in February and I asked her to be my girlfriend. You know, when you're 61, you don't have a lot of time to waste. And, uh, she, and, and she said yes. And, um, and, and, and it's amazing how God works because uh, she is a fiery, spiritual, Boston woman. And guess who's helping us in our relationship? No idea. Jim and Donna Blau. No. <laughs> Jim and Donna Blau. <laughs> Oh and, and it's just like, I go, I go, you can't even make this stuff up. Mm. I mean, it's just, it, it's totally from God. So, <laughs> um, so I'm in love and, um, she's, she's, I never thought I'd be able to love another woman. Like I love Terry, but you know, God gives us that capacity to love even in, in greater ways, Wow, you know, different ways. Okay. So if it's appropriate, where, where has she been in, during, in the meantime? Yeah, so she's been in, uh, in Boston the whole time. Uh, I had, uh, in January, her family, her mom and dad are still alive. They're in their mid-80s. They had uh, a dinner uh, that they hosted me after church. And uh, I walked into their house, and I go, this is the same house I walked in 40 years ago oh to have have lunch with her parents. And uh, so she's been in the Boston area. She's actually a high school uh, special education teacher. Uh, her life has been very difficult. Uh, first marriage really didn't work out. Uh, did not work out. It was not what she wanted. She's been uh, divorced for about 20 years, but she has a special needs adult son. And of course, Jim and Donna, they have their son, Joel, and they only live about 15 minutes away from where Michelle lives. And so um, what's, you know, as our relationship is growing and we've talked about us really, uh, really in uh, putting our relation together and in, into maybe marriage. Uh, it's really necessary for me to actually leave San Diego and to move back to Boston. And so I'm planning to do that sometime um, uh, early next year. Wow. So, okay. Pretty so, amazing. So you've been in San Diego for 30 years, but love is calling you to, to leave the land of paradise. Yep. Yep. And, and just like, um, uh, 2003, uh, I will resign. I, I will actually retire from the ministry and I'm grateful I have work as a financial advisor and I'll continue that work. And, uh, and then I'll just start, you know, as just a, a normal disciple in the church in Boston and just, uh, you know, see where God takes me, takes us from there. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. How do the kids, fe- how do the kids feel about this? So uh, a wide range of uh, responses, but, uh, you know, along the way, I, I uh, you know, they, they, it was hard for them because, you know, this is their mom. And uh, I really appreciate all three of them, though. They said, you know, we knew mom wanted you to move on to be happy and we want you to be happy. But we're processing. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us right. to see our dad uh, love another woman. Right. So, Wow. That would be challenging. 
Guillermo, what advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? You know, you know, Rob, that's a that's an incredible question. Um, you, you know, I think about Mark chapter ten. Um, no one who has left homes or brothers or fields or you know lands or however it goes will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. And I start really thinking about my life with that. Is that there have been times when uh, things have been amazing, being on the mission field and not worrying about material things. And then there have been times when, you know, we're dealing with the most crucial issues of life and death with the death of a spouse or, um, or, or health issues along the way. Uh, there was a time I was an incredible amount of debt. And, uh, and I just felt, you know, I was out of the ministry. I'm starting a new career. And I was just grateful that all along the way, God just continued to just give me. And Terry was amazing. She goes, she goes, honey, if we get to the point where we just need to sell the house and just pay everything off, we'll just go live in an apartment somewhere. It doesn't matter where we live or <laughs> what we drive. It just matters that we're together and we're serving God. And, and that was so encouraging to me. So I would tell, to answer your question, I would tell people that this life is but a mist. James chapter four, right. this life is but a mist. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. What's important is that we are storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And to me, the way I do that, the way I read that is by going back to that Matthew 22, the greatest commandments in the law is let's love God. Let's serve God. Let's give to God. Let's be the best we can be. Let's be the light in a dark place. Let's be the salt of the earth. And then let's love people. Uh, let's love people deeply. Let's care about people. And as we are a light, and as we are the salt, reach out to people and help bring them, be a mediator to help them come to God as well. And that's what I would say, because at the if, if when Terry was dying, she says, honey, I've lived an amazing life. And I've lived like 10 lifetimes. So it's okay. And, and of course, her investment in the people is what she was talking about. And she's received so much back. And I, and I feel the same way. If I were to, God were to take me home this afternoon, Rob, uh, I, I would say, you know, I, I've lived, I've, I've done my best for God. And I've lived my best for God. And then, yes, I've made mistakes along the way. But I'm grateful that God is a loving God who is slow to anger and is so merciful and so forgiving. So I would just say, dig in with God, get to fall in love with God once again fall in love with Jesus once again. Mm. And that will get you through this life. And that's what's most impacting. Wow. Guillermo, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Rob, uh, what a joy. Thank you for the, the will, really well thought out questions. Um, I hope this has been helpful. It's been helpful for me oh my just gosh. to even talk, talk about just uh, how much God has done in my life right. and and then, Rob, just even looking at you, because I know you went through a very uh, similar period of, of, of ministry separation. And, but, but I love that, that you are still in, in serving God and that you never stopped serving God. Mm. I really admire you a lot, Rob. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. And it's just it's so great to hear 
how you've come out of such an incredibly difficult time with your wife, losing your wife, and God has brought you into a, a, a sunny place, a hopeful future. It's wonderful. It's really, it's wonderful and so encouraging to me. All the best to you. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on, and I hope it's helpful. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Here's how you can help support the program. First, hit the subscribe button and send a link to your friends. Secondly, read and review one of my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find them on Amazon.com. Thirdly, support the program financially by clicking the link in the show notes and selecting the general fund. Your tax-deductible gift will help me multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Because my goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, to make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.